Hello and welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. Today our family pastor J.C. Thompson will deliver a message in our series about the life of Samuel the prophet. If you would like to follow along with this message, you can do so by turning in your Bible to 1 Samuel 4, 1 through 22. You can also find our weekly message outline and many other resources on our website at brookwoodchurch.org or on our Brookwood Church app. continuing in our series called Belonging to God. Today we'll be in 1 Samuel chapter 4. You can go ahead and turn there or click there or double click there, whatever you got to do to get to that passage of scripture. In the first three chapters of 1 Samuel, uh, we've gotten a peek in on kind of God's origin story of Samuel himself, that he was born miraculously as God answered the prayer of a woman crying out to God. Then we see him given to the temple to be used by the Lord, and then as he gets there, he learns to hear from God. His first prophecy was against a man who really was taking care of him, Eli. And if you see what's happening, what, what you begin to see is there's kind of this X happening, this intersection. Eli's line is coming down, and Samuel, as God's chosen prophet is moving up. And we kind of saw a little bit of that intersection happen as Samuel prophesies to Eli and his family and specifically his two sons' impending death. And as we walk through that and we've seen some incredible things, we saw Eli humbly accept God's judgment last week as, as Samuel offered it to him. We're, we're now going to see the fruition of God's judgment but not only against Eli and his sons, but also judgment against all the Israelite people. As God is playing out his plan, we also see a new character today in the story, and that character is one that the Israelites were very familiar with. It's not a new character when it comes to their history, but it's an important one, and that's the Ark of the Covenant. So let's start, 1 Samuel chapter 4. At that time, Israel was at war with the Philistines. The Israelite army was camped at Ebenezer, and the Philistines were at Aphek. The Philistines attacked and defeated the army of Israel, killing 4,000 men. After the battle was over, the troops retreated to their camp, and the elders of Israel asked, why did the Lord allow us to be defeated by the Philistines? Why did the Lord allow us to be defeated by the Philistines? Let's ask God to open our ears today as we hear the word of God and pray that he'll speak to us. God, we ask for you to be present in this room. We know that there are people gathered today to hear your word, and so we pray that we would hear your word. We pray that you would speak to us and that it would change us. And we pray, God, as we hear information that may be difficult about our own situations, our own lives, I pray that you would reveal yourself to us. We love you. It's in the name of Jesus we're able to pray these things. Amen. 
The Israel suffered a great loss in this defeat. They lost 4,000 men. Now, I want you to put yourself in the shoes of the Israelites here. They were God's chosen people. God himself communicated to them that they were the chosen people. They've seen many miraculous victories at the hands of God, and they rightly knew that God had not allowed them to win. In fact, the ESV translation puts it this way. Why did God defeat us at the hands of the Philistines? They knew that God was responsible. They knew that he was sovereign in all the affairs. And so they asked, and I'm sure that you've been there before. I'm sure that something has happened in your life that you didn't understand. I'm sure that there's been a situation or a circumstance, a relationship gone wrong, an opportunity that you thought was good that maybe didn't turn out so good. And you've asked, why has God done this? And oftentimes, this is as far as we get. We recognize that God is in control, and we go, God's responsible, and then that's it. We stop. We don't ask any more questions. We don't go to the people that we know who, who follow God, who know God. We just stop and then move on with our lives. I titled today's message, Correction, because as you'll see, God is correcting the perspective of the Israelite people so that they will know who he truly is and not who they think he is. And not only that, but he's also correcting Eli and his line. And he's placing Samuel in the situation to be the prophet of the Lord. In us, we'll do similar things in our life, right? We, we, we want God to be in control, but we also want to be in control. We, we want God to do things, and we'd even say that. In fact, we've sung songs today about God being in control. And we'll sing, but when it comes to God deciding something that we wouldn't decide, we don't love that. We struggle. And I want you to see here today that God will correct our perspective, the people of God's perspective, before he corrects the world. And he does that today through the Israelites. So when God does correct us, how do we respond? How do we respond when God brings correction to his people? If you'll take out your outline, we'll start by seeing that we respond to God's correction by relying on God, relying on God. See, the Israelites asked the right question here. They asked, why did God do this to us? Why did God allow us to be defeated at the hands of, not, not just the hands of their enemies, but also the enemies of God. Why would God do that? They asked the right question, but they didn't ask the right question to the right being. They didn't ask God that question. They asked themselves that question. Why would God do this to us? Now this defeat is very familiar to the Israelites. It would have fit in with the cycle that we see happen over and over with them. They'll rebel, they'll, they'll serve foreign gods, they'll serve idols, and then God will bring someone into their midst who will tell them, you are rebelling against God. You're serving idols, you're serving false gods. And sometimes the Israel, Israelites would repent. 
and they'd come back to God. And sometimes God would have to do more than just use someone to speak to them. And they would repent, and they would quit worshiping false gods for a time. And then they'd forget all that God has done. And don't we do that? I know you, you read Scripture sometimes, you go, how in the world could they forget the splitting of the, the sea? How could they forget the plagues on the Egyptians? How could they forget literally being given the law of God from God himself? How could they forget a man coming down from the mountain who was glowing when he came down, that he literally put something over his face because his face was so bright from being in the presence of God, people wouldn't look at him. That when his presence surrounded the mountain of God that Moses was gonna communicate to his people, he, he was gonna hear from God and communicate what God had to say, they literally said to Moses, don't let God speak to us. Don't let him speak to us. You speak to God and then tell us what he said. We don't wanna speak to God. How could we forget? And yet, I think of myself, I'm 31 years old. I've been following Jesus since I was a kid. And how many things have I forgotten that God has miraculously done in my life? It's easy to do that. It's so easy to forget. But we can't, we can't do that. We have to continually rely on him. So check out what happens. Verse three, why did the Lord allow us to be defeated by the Philistines? Then they said, let's bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord from Shiloh. If we carry it into battle, it will save us from our enemies. Now, I emphasize the word it in this passage. Now, I wanna be clear, the Hebrew, there's a little more implication of God in this than just completely disregarding all the things of God, okay? So the Hebrew translation could be translated as, and the Lord will have to come and save us. So regardless of if they really thought the ark was going to save them, or if they thought God was going to have to come and save them, the implication was the same. They thought, that they were in charge. They did not rely on God. Who were they relying on? Perry's not here, so you're gonna have to answer. Who were they relying on? Themselves. Not the ark. We've got a bright idea. Let's get the ark. This would have been so counterintuitive to how God had related to the Israelites over and over and over again. You think about God, God speaking to Abraham, who was not a follower of God at all. He literally picked him out and he said, Abraham, go, leave your family, leave your land and go. And Abraham obeyed and he would lead him city upon city, town upon town and he would show him what to do. Think about Moses spending time on the mountain, literally receiving the Ten Commandments written on stone tablets. God showing, this is life. If you don't live this way, you'll live in death. And then you think about Joshua. Joshua got strategies for war from God. I mean, think about this. God told him at one time, hey, don't fight this city. Walk around it, and I will fight for you. And they did, they blew some trumpets, they praised the name of God, and boom, down fell the city. In fact, archeological evidence said that those walls fell outward. How's that happen? Wasn't because they were beaten down to get in, fell outward. 
It's incredible to think about those things. And yet, rather than rely on God who had been so faithful to speak to them over and over and over and over, they don't go and ask. They don't go to the prophets. They don't go to Eli and his sons. They don't go back to what they known as a good idea. They ask the question. They ask the right question, but please don't misunderstand. They really didn't ask God. They didn't want to know what God had to say to them. If the elders of Israel, the ones who are supposed to know this is how we relate to God, if those are the people who are saying, get the ark, the people were in trouble. God can be trusted. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said this very thing. He said in Matthew chapter six, don't worry about these things, asking what will we eat, what will we drink, what will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. And he will give you everything you need, everything that you need in this life if you'll rely on him. Not only does he supply our, all our needs, but our very power for living the life that Christ has given to us comes from him. Jesus had instructed his disciples when he was leaving. He said, you need to go here and wait on the Spirit to endow you with power. Wait on the Lord. Wait on the Spirit. You know, at this time, they were nervous. They were scared. Literally, Jesus is leaving them. All I know about life, all I know about heaven, all I know about God, Jesus, you contain all those things. And Jesus said, whoa, God's giving you something greater than me. He's giving you my spirit that will dwell inside of you, but you need to wait. You need to wait on God to endow you with power. In Romans, Paul even talks about the emotion of joy and how we have to have joy, and yet joy, our power for living a life of joy and peace with God comes from God himself. God commands us to live in peace and to live with joy, and God supplies what we need to do that. He's good, he knows what we need, and he gives it to us freely, but we have to rely on him. Do you truly trust God? Do you trust him? Parents, do your kids see how you trust God? Not just how you talk about him. What do they see in your life that's a struggle for you to trust God? Do you wait for him to tell you what to do? Do you search his word and ask, God, what do you have for me in this? What's happening? Why is it happening? How can I respond? How can I obey you in this situation? Or do we just think we can figure it out on our own? The, the whole open door theology. If the door is open, just walk right through it. I've seen plenty of scary movies, guys, and open door is not always a great thing. And I think that's true when it comes to our faith. Promotions, job changes, living, moving, all, all those things, are those of God? We've got to ask. We've got to rely. We've got to go to him and go, God, what is it? Why is this happening? What's happening? And God is faithful. I believe that he'll speak to you. It may not be what you want to hear, but he will speak because he is faithful. 
Are you trusting God? I love the Psalms, because when I don't know how to pray, I go to the Psalms, and believe me, I don't know how to pray, okay? I pray a lot of things that JC wants. So I go to the Psalms, and I go, God, what, what do you have for me? And I, I saw this in Psalms, it's Psalm of David, Psalm 69, and he just says this. He says, I am exhausted from crying out for help. My throat is parched, my eyes are swollen with weeping, waiting for my God to help me. Is that us? Are we seeking in a way that our throat is sore from praying, that our eyes hurt from crying? Do we truly rely on him for everything? Single parents out there, this weekend, I I was blessed to be able to go on a prayer retreat, uh, and then Kristen and I swapped places. So she went up to the prayer, prayer retreat, I came back home, and Listen, we had basketball in the morning, right? I don't know if my kids matched, right? I'm looking at clothes, like, do I have what I need? Do we have the seat right? Do I have the, the, enough snacks? Like, how many snacks do we need? I don't know. Like, how long is this, are they going to go into overtime? What in the world is going on? Like, I can't imagine being a single parent all the time. I can't imagine the burden that is. Are you trusting God, single parents? Do you believe that God is supporting you in the way that you thought your spouse might. And if you're a single parent out there and you're struggling, please come tell us at the church. We love to help you. Will our student pastors go and get ice cream with your kid? Yes, because we love ministry and ice cream. We would love to spend time with your family. Take that step and say, I need need some help. I don't know what to do. We want to help you, and we don't always know what to do. But we can pray and go, God, what what can we do? How can we help? What can we do with this family? How can we support them and love them and encourage them? Trust him. And you have to take a step to figure that out. The Israelites didn't ask God what his thoughts were. They just didn't like to lose. They had failed to put their trust in God, even though he was so faithful to them. Will you rely on him? Not only do we respond to God's correction by relying on him, but we also are recognizing his authority. Recognizing his authority. Again here in verse three it said, let's bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord from Shiloh. If we carry it into battle with us, it'll save us from our enemies. I put my emphasis on that word for a reason, guys. They did not think God was truly the authority. They knew that they were. They just, they felt the need to recognize their struggle, their issue, and we do that sometimes. We wear our struggle like that's our identity. I'm busy, I'm stressed, I'm frustrated. Do we, do we want to live God's life? Do we want the solution that may be difficult and hard? Do we wanna take the hard steps? They thought that God would be forced into helping them because of the tool that they brought alongside them. And you've got to understand this art. It's such an important piece of history for them. God told them how to build it. He told them exactly what to do. He told them to put the tablets inside because that's like us as believers, that the law of God is written on our hearts according to the prophet Jeremiah, that God's word indwells us. And then it was covered by the mercy seat. 
the mercy seat, once a year was sprinkled with the blood of the sacrifice to cover the sins, cover the sins of the people. And between these two angelic creatures, God would manifest his presence there to speak. And he spoke to Moses out of the mercy seat. This was such a crucial thing. And the, the Ark of the Covenant, it was a symbol of God's presence. It was a symbol of God's leadership. It was a symbol that God had revealed himself and chosen them as his people. I think about Joshua 3 and 4 where the Ark was brought and the seas were separated as the Ark led the way. I think about Joshua 6 as they did walk around the city. The Ark of the Covenant was there and present. See, this ark was not an ordinary object, but it was still an object. It was a symbol for the people of who God was. But they used it as an object to manipulate God. Now, scholars differ on their motivation. Maybe they, some people think that they were you know, well-meaning. They're just trying to do the best that they know how, right? Like they don't, they don't really know any better. And then some people really believe they used this as like a, a rabbit's foot, right? They held it up to God and said, God, you have to come and help us. Your name is on the line. Your honor's on the line. And God, as we see, did not respond to that. He didn't respond at all. Check this out. So they sent men to Shiloh to bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of Heaven's armies, who is enthroned between the cherubim. Hophni and Phinehas, the sons of Eli, who we heard about them, they were also there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. Who was not there with the Ark of the Covenant with God? Eli was not there. Samuel was not there. <laughs> God was not there. When all the Israelites saw the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord coming into the camp, their shout of joy was so loud it made the ground shake. Please understand this. They were filled with joy in the midst of disobedience. They were filled with happiness in the midst of disobedience. You can disobey and still feel great. Still feel like things are gonna work out. What's going on, the Philistines asked. What's all the shouting about in the Hebrew camp? When they were told it was because the ark of the Lord had arrived, they panicked. The gods have come into camp. They cried, this is a disaster. We have never had to face anything like this before help. And then what you start to see is they kind of know about the God of Israel, but they also don't know about the God of Israel. They said this, who can save us from these mighty gods of Israel? They are the same gods who destroyed the Egyptians with plagues when Israel was in the wilderness. Fight as never before, Philistines. If you don't, we will become the Hebrew slaves just as they have been ours. Stand up like men and fight. And you see these enemies of the God rallying, rallying together to defeat the Israelites. So the Philistines fought desperately and Israel was defeated again. The slaughter was great. 30,000 Israelite soldiers died that day. The survivors turned and fled to their tents. The ark of God was captured, and Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were killed, as had been predicted by the prophecy of Samuel. They did not ask God what they did wrong. 
Now, reading this, this can cause us some trouble because if we're reading it correctly, what it means is, is that God caused a greater defeat in the Israelites' rebellion. If God is sovereign in all affairs, then he made them lose even greater. And it's why I say this, and I say this. God's discipline will start with us. It won't start out there. If we're praying and asking the world to change and not asking God to change us, not seeing where we need to repent, not seeing where we need to be made right, we're missing it, guys. We're missing it. We're the tools that God used for people to show them who he truly is. They thought, God's honor is at stake here. He'll have to come through. And what they saw was that God did not come through. They lost 30,000 men that day. And the sons of Eli's were wiped out. And then not only that, but the Ark of the Covenant was lost. Do we do this? Do we have some object or method that we use and hold up to God and say, God, you have to answer us now? Is his word, which was revealed to us, is this really how we understand God? Or do we take pieces and, and things from everybody else that we hear and we like that, so I'm gonna take that, I'm gonna add it to what this is. Or I don't like that, I'm gonna take that away from what this is. It's not just culture that does that. It's us. We do that. And I, I think sometimes, and my, my generation and younger is probably guilty of this, but I, I think sometimes we just approach God too casually. Like when we pray, God is present. God is listening to our prayers as followers of God. Jesus is interceding on our behalf according to Scripture. And the Spirit of God dwells inside of us. And sometimes we treat God like he's not present and not there and we just pray and then done and it really doesn't affect or change us at all. It's not about a relationship. It's about us saying what we need to say. Let me play this out and how we think about God, okay? I want you to think about your attitude and emotion when you think about prayer and now I want you to think about this situation. Who's got a boss in here? Raise your hand. Who's got a boss? I got a boss. Let's pretend tomorrow morning and you can look at the timestamp on your email and it says 7.30 a.m., from your boss, and it says, hey, we need to talk. Don't leave today until you hear from me. Everybody filled with joy and happiness right now? No? Fear and anxiety over your boss having a conversation with you? Think about that for a second. Matthew 10 says it this way, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. Now, hopefully your boss doesn't want to do that, okay? Don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body, destroy your body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear God alone, who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And I say this with, with much grace because we can approach God's throne with confidence, not because of us and our righteousness, but because of Jesus Christ. We can, we can pray to him because he allows us to do that. But sometimes we just kind of approach him like it's just a, it's a Facebook post, it's a tweet, it's, it's nothing that we're coming. We're in the presence of God. 
And one author kind of talks about the holiness and the power of God in this way. Imagine you're, this is gonna be hard to imagine, but I think the picture's good, okay? Imagine you're on a search for an Arctic glacier and you're in the midst of the Arctic and you're looking at the majesty of God created before you. And you're like, whoa. And then a terrible, disastrous storm rises up. And I don't know if you've seen the Arctic, but like, it's pretty flat and it's real cold. Not a lot of places to hide from this storm. And you're going, how are we going to survive? This is death for sure. And then as you walk, you see in the glacier, you see this place, you see a cleft in the rock, and you climb inside, and you have shelter from the storm, but as you look outside the opening, you see the destructive power of that storm. You see that nothing will stop that storm. That is a relationship with God, rightly understood that God has graciously provided rescue for us. We wouldn't feel the rain, and yet we would watch as God is holy and just in all his dealings. God's power. Do you truly believe that God is responsible and sovereign over everything? Do you believe that God is in charge. Do you believe that he's with you even when it looks difficult? And do we truly trust God's word as our authority? And I, I wanna walk through some examples of what this looks like in people in this church. First of all, uh, I, I don't know if you know this or not, but in pod A and B downstairs, which is where our, our small ones are, our, our little bitties, our, our small kids, we just did a, a huge renovation over there. Both large group rooms renovated. We had staff working overtime to go and help in these particular ways. You know how much we spent on those renovations? For two large groups, 300 kids affected. You know how much we spent? $7,500. In case you like math like I do, that's $25 a kid that we invested. I hope, one, that that goes, man, this church wants to make the most of all the resources we have. And then on the flip side, I hope you go, what could they have done with more? Now, I, listen, I don't care if you wrestle with me at all over giving, okay? But if God's word says it, you need to wrestle with it. And you need to go, God, what am I doing with the resources that you have given me? And man, if you don't trust this place, come and talk to us. I mean, we're seeing kids freed from slavery in India. I mean, we're seeing kids have their lives completely changed. I heard a story about a 13-year-old girl in our church this week, a 13-year-old girl who called us on the phone and says, hey, I heard about a Venezuelan family leaving the country, fleeing away from a dictatorship. And Brooke Woods brought them in, and she said, what can I do Tell them, tell us what they need. I'm gonna talk to my friends and we're gonna figure it out. Can I have their phone number? Can I meet them at church? Can I talk to them? Do they have a place to live? This is a 13-year-old, guys. And I pray that we are wrestling with God and going, God, what are your dreams for me? Rather than me present my puny dreams to you, God, what are your dreams for me? What do you wanna do through my life this is all I have. A little boy's lunch fed over 5,000 people. A happy meal. Here's what I've got, God. What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? 
are you so gripped by the authority, the power, the holiness of God that it is overflowing out of you? You're not having to ratchet it up. It just spews out. There's people around you like, hey, cover that stuff up, right? You're leaking everywhere, like stop that. You're making things uncomfortable for us. Things are crazy. Don't do that. And let's talk about prayer. Do we pray with God's will in mind? When's the last time we came to God in prayer and said, God, God, I don't even know what to pray, but I know that Jesus is interceding for me. Jesus, what are you praying for me? God, what are you praying for me? What are the things you're hoping that I see or realize? Search me and know my deepest inner thoughts, God, and show me if there's any wayward way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. When do we pray asking God to show us anything versus coming to God with our agenda, coming to the creator God who saved us? The fact that we know anything at all about God is all because of his grace, we bring our list. I mean, do we understand that this Bible, I don't, I don't know if you know this or not, but people gave their lives so that we could have a translation of this in our language, so that you didn't have people on stage who were authorities saying, this is what to believe about God. People couldn't know what God was like because other than people teaching them because they didn't have a translation in their own language written in several different languages, across several different countries and continents, over more than a thousand years. Like, this is a significant work. Archaeologists, they, they marvel at this work. They go, how in the world, this is true. We know where to dig. We know where to look for things. Sometimes we treat this like a motivational poster. Give me something to make me feel good today. And I just want to share this with you. I don't have enough time to delve fully into this, but like, you see the Philistines' reaction to the Ark of God? Both groups guilty of idolatry, but the Philistines were way better at it. Way better. They knew how to worship idols. And so they, they rallied, they crushed. We don't want to look like the world, guys. God's chosen us as his people. We worship and follow him. I wonder how many churches are in the same situation today. They've got a great plan. They've got these things figured out. And it may not be what God wants at all. How many of them really look at themselves and go, are we living in God's will? Is there something we need to repent of, change of, completely turn around in strategy? Are they willing to do that? And I'm gonna probably step on some toes and I kind of lean lightly into this, but we do this with objects too, guys. Objects that are good objects. We do it with the cross of Christ. I, I hope that you hear what I'm saying. It's a piece of wood without Jesus. There's no secret power in that wood. Jesus has the power. The Spirit of God has the power. God has the power. Just two sticks put together. We do this way with old Bibles, right? Grandma gave me this Bible. I read this Bible. It contains the real secrets. Man, one author puts it this way. 
We need to visit other books and live in the Bible. We need to have a grasp on who God is. It's the most important question in all the world. Who is God to me? And if we don't answer it according to God's answer, we will miss out on life. Do we really believe, like the Israelites did, that God wants us to be successful more than he wants us to depend on him? If you're struggling with this idea of holiness, I want to point out two resources for you to visit, okay? One's called The Holiness of God by R.C. Sproul, and the other one is called Knowing God by J.I. Packer. Knowing God by J.I. Packer, Holiness of God by R.C. Sproul. Incredible books. If you've never read it before, grab somebody else and read it together. Incredible, incredible book, okay? Not only must we rely on God and recognize his authority, but we, almost, we also have to be repenting. I, I wanna summarize this last section of scripture for you right here, okay? Uh, here's what happens, they lost. Eli's sons die. They fled and they go back. A normal thing for an army after defeat was to disband. And they would all go to their own homes, right? They're no longer a cohesive group, they're separated. And a, a man comes back, or a runner comes back, a messenger comes back, he's torn his clothes, he's got dirt on his face in mourning, and he's coming to tell the people what happened on the battlefield. Probably would have been somewhere around 22 to 24 miles that this person ran to tell this news. Eli can't see, guys. Remember, he's blind. And so he asked the messenger, hey, what's going on? What, what's happening? What has happened today? He says, I just came from the battlefield. Israel has been defeated by the Philistines. We have suffered a great loss. Your sons have died. And crescendo, most important part, the Ark of the Covenant has been captured. Eli, who is trembling at the thought of what was going to happen to the Ark, hears the news, falls over, and dies. Scripture says under, the weight, under his weight. And it's a play on words that the Hebrew author uses here because the weight didn't just mean he was heavy. He also had succumbed to the weight of the position of high priest. He did not finish well. And also the weight, which was the weight of God's presence, the honor of God's presence being with them, had left. That same word used several different ways in this passage of Scripture. And then Eli's daughter, or Eli's daughter-in-law, Phineas' wife, understanding the reality of the ark of God, the symbol of God's presence being gone, goes into shock, which turns into premature labor, which turns into a blessing because she was going to have a son, which was the greatest thing a woman could do during that time was to have a son and continue the line. And as her friends are encouraging her and saying, you've given birth to a son, this is great, this is great, fight, fight, fight. Before she died, she named the son Ichabod, which means the glory of the Lord has departed or the glory of God has gone into exile, purposely hiding the glory of the God from the Israelite people. We don't like to talk about repentance a lot because it's painful. But this is a picture of what hell will be like the reality of God leaving 
caused this girl to go into labor because of her shock. And if you struggle with the idea, the reality of hell, I want you to understand something today. You need to live in this for a little bit. Because the people around you who don't know God, it's not just bad for them. They're not just naughty, okay? That's how we reduce the gospel sometimes. We think the gospel's about being nice to people. It's not. It's dead people coming alive. They will be separated one day if they don't embrace Christ, if they don't repent and place their trust and faith in him. And once Eli has died, he's been dethroned, right? He's been, uh, this is symbolized because he fell off of his chair. We'll see later on that that mirrors something that happens in the Philistines' camp. Um, God's judgment on Eli and his line happens. He was crushed under his own heaviness. He was crushed by the burden that he placed on himself as being the leader. And for me, this is such a crucial thing for us. Repentance is a lifestyle. Repentance is, I discover something. God reveals something to me that's not right in my connection with him. It's disobedience. And we come to the, God, the face of God and we say, God, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips among a people of unclean lips. God, cleanse me. God is faithful to do that. Not because of you and how much you get there emotionally, not how much you say the right things, but because God loves you. But how do I know that my repentance is true? You'll see change. Your life will have to look different. If, rep if your repentance is genuine, you'll have to look different. It's not just about saying sorry. You guys know that as parents. It's not just about saying sorry. No, I don't want you to punch your brother. That's not good for him. It's not good for you. That's a horrible attitude to have. Well, I'm sorry. And then punch two minutes later. Like, no, that's not repentance. Guys, we are the people of God. We wonder why the world doesn't look different. We lament the loss of the world and we look at ourselves and we go, how much is truly different? Are we truly the image of Christ given to people? If the Spirit indwells in us, if the Spirit indwells in us, it will make changes. God will make changes in us. People around you should go, I mean, you used to do this. What, what's happening? Let me tell you what's happening. And here's the thing, guys. God will correct us if that's not happening. He will bring it to us. Because he loves us. And the Lord disciplines those he loves. One, one commentator said it this way. Phineas' wife went into labor because she thought that because the ark of God had left, God's glory had left. But the reason the ark of God left is because the glory of God had already left. I hope when we think about church, when we think about the body of Christ, we understand that it's a spirit-indwelled body, that God's spirit in you means changes will take place and it means he'll go, hey, you need to go talk to this person. Hey, you need to do something there. And it will, like it gnaws at you, right? It gnaws. 
And it's gentle sometimes, and other times it's not gentle at all. God will reshape our perspective of him if it's not right. If we go, God, am I viewing you correctly? And if you're in here today and you don't know God, and when I mean know God, I mean know God. Know the reality of his presence. Understand what it means to have the spirit of God inside of you. Not coming to church, not hearing messages, not thinking sometimes about being good. I mean know God and he is literally the priority. He is first in your life. I hope you'll find somebody who knows him and just talk to them about knowing Christ. Guys, we must repent if we want to see God change our community. We must give up and surrender to what his will is. We must honor him in all of our lives. God will correct us if we don't. Let's pray. God, we come to you humbly today, asking you to show us who you truly are, God, I pray that we begin to understand who you are and that it will overwhelm us. God, that you give us shelter during difficult times, God. Rest that we can find only in you. Jesus, you've given us the way to true life, real life, life that is whole and holy. Hear our prayer. We don't like this place, God. The people around us are dying and they don't even see it. Give us life, God, and impart life to us and God, allow us to share it with those that we know. And God, show us where we fall short and God, I pray we lean on to the cross of Jesus Christ that it is all we need, that once and forever we are clean in the sight of God because of Jesus. We come to you and we ask for you to cleanse our conscience, cleanse our hearts, cleanse our mind. God, show us where we don't believe you, where we don't trust you, and then, God, we repent. Don't hide your presence from us, God. And then, I, God, I pray, I pray, I pray, God, that as you change us, God, that people will see our good works and they will glorify you because of what you're doing in us. And we pray and we trust and we ask. And God, be with us. Open our ears and our minds to know the things of God. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray these things. Amen. Here at Brookwood Church, our desire is to assist you in pursuing a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience transformed life. If you have any questions about this message or you would like to request prayer, we encourage you to visit our website at brookwoodchurch.org forward slash get help. You can also find our message archives on our website or on our Brookwood app. Thank you so much for listening and have a blessed day.